1: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership.
2: This is Right Excuses,
1: Season 5, Episode 15,
2: Steampunk with Scott, Scott Westerfeld. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. And we once again have New York Times bestselling author Scott Westerfeld here with us. Thank you, Scott, for coming and um, being on our Dopey podcast. Thank you. We're going to talk steampunk. Um, steampunk. What
1: is steampunk? Howard, can you define steampunk? <laughs> steampunk is what happened when the goth kids discovered the color brown. Okay.
2: <laughs> isn't, that what, isn't that Neil Gaiman's line? Uh, no, just I don't know, it's
3: Jess Nevins. Oh, is it? Often misattributed okay. either to, to Gaiman or to Sherry Priest, but yes. it's Jess Nevins.
2: Now, Sherry told it to me and claimed it was not hers. So. Yeah. Sherry told it to me
3: at Penguin. Con- okay. So. All right. So, steampunk. Steampunk is... Why Scott, why don't you tell us what steampunk is? It's Victorian science fiction written by anyone who shouldn't be writing Victorian science fiction because they're not Victorians. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the what if that... Um,
2: I, I love steampunk as a concept. It fascinates me because it's the, we're asking the what ifs. Um, number one, something steampunk I've noticed can do is it can borrow from fantasy and say, this doesn't actually have to be possible. In our world, um, right. we can do things that are impossible. We're going to extrapolate technology that people had during the steam era and say, what if they never discovered this next revolutionary um, event, and we instead went along these lines: it's zeppelins, it's steam-powered robots. It's you know some of them are more scientifically minded than others. Um, there's a subgenre I wrote a book that um, that people tell me is called Gearpunk, which is doing Da Vinci-era technology. It's essentially the same thing, though. Instead, you're doing Renaissance people um, using using um, using gear technology, um, so I'm going to ask. Um, I'm, I'm going to fire this at Scott. Why steampunk? Why are we doing this? What What is it about
3: it? Well, I mean, the most interesting thing to me is when, when we is the steampunk that says, okay, what if the Victorians were right about X, Y, and Z? Uh-huh. What if they were right about um, spirit photography? Yeah. What if they were yeah. right about what the moon is made out of, or that, or what if the, what if there was ether? Right. So it, that makes it science fiction, even though it's wrong science fiction. Yeah. But that's different than fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, it has characteristics in common. But yeah. the idea of taking a science that turned out to be wrong and extrapolating within that framework. Right. And staying rigid to its rules. Right. Um, I mean, it's just a fascinating genre because it really isn't the other, science fiction. I think the other
1: aspect it isn't really of it, fantasy, either. It's anyway. Well, the other aspect of it that I think is so appealing is you know, that quote about you know the goth kids discovering that color brown, the. The sensibilities, the societal things, the fashion, the the brass, the chrome, the leather, uh, those things uh, are they're very attractive. They've they've got a neat a neat look and a feel to them, right. and so steampunk ends up being a very uh,
3: a very tactile, sensory sort of genre for us. And it's also, there's a lot of DIY, you know, there's yeah. lots of do-it-yourself, yeah, mm-hmm. you may have to make your own stuff. Well, I mean, eventually Hot Topic will have a steampunk yeah. section, but, I mean, and by eventually, I mean like three weeks from now, yeah. but but there is still something cool about um, about Victorian clothes and not just the clothes, but also Victorian manners. Right. I mean, <laughs> we're living in an area where basically people's clothes and manners are kind of rubbish, yeah. and so it's kind of more fun, it's fun Getting to dress up. Getting dressed up is cool. Getting dressed up is cool, pretending to have a Tea party is cool calling each other mister is kind of is fun and interesting and and then at your tea party where everyone's dressed up bringing a big flamethrower Is also cool. Yeah, and that's the other thing that's going on with steampunk is you're messing this stuff up. I mean, the Victorians were stuffy people and they had stuff shirts and they were, you know, and they were sexist and racist and all kinds of bad things. So, to so to add some flamethrowers to them and to to take (laughs) the stuffiness and the the joy of the of the play acting and and to start really playing around with the societal codes that they had, is is also kind of awesome. We we should mention steampunk is more than just a literary genre. For
2: a long time, I thought it was just a literary genre. You know, you got stuff with a difference engine and whatnot, but it's not. It is a full-blown cultural phenomenon, a, a, a counterculture phenomenon, going on completely separate. That may be even larger and more important than the actual literature. Um,
1: but um, yeah, SteamCon is a convention like a comic book convention or a yeah. literary sci-fi convention, where people dress up in Victorian-era clothing and wear, uh, you know, homegrown brass and chrome blasters and yeah. flamethrowers. Right. That don't shoot actual flames. Steam con's safe, kids. So the um, the question I want to ha- ask, you know, this is a writing
2: podcast. Um, we might have listeners want interested in steampunk. Um, so I want I want to fire you, Scott. You've done it incredibly successful and very well done um, steampunk slash diesel punk, as you said, series. Are there pitfalls or are there advice specifically about steampunk that you could give people who are wanting to write in this genre?
3: Well, it's kind of you know a close cousin to. Alternate history. Uh-huh. You know, you, you're doing the same kind of world building where you're taking something very familiar, um, you know, a historical event. Like, like I'm doing World War One. I'm sticking very closely to the um, to the date to the date line of the war. One of my characters is the son of the Archduke Ferdinand. So, on the one hand, you're taking all this familiar stuff, but you're also throwing in some crazy weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that, to me, is one of the pleasures of reading and writing steampunk is. You know, is taking the things that are familiar, the the Tea Party or whatever, right. and then adding anachronisms. Right. And I think you know that's what you're doing when you're doing alternate history. Um, in a way, alternate history is a bit more rigid. As a lot of people play right. the game, where you, you know you're what you're trying to figure out is what happened if Bull Run had right. blah blah blah. But instead, with steampunk, you're throwing in lots of things, yeah. and so I'm tossing in you know two whole new sets of technology into the world, and um, so. So to me, what's the most interesting thing about it is an exercise in world building where you can rely on the reader to understand certain things like, oh, son of the Archduke Ferdinand, I know who that guy is. But at the same time, wait a minute, this is a giant living airship? Yeah. So you're employing, you're activating the received knowledge that you're um, that your reader has both about real history and about genre codes, mm-hmm. you know, crazy genre codes in this case, right? Yeah. And, and, and mixing those two things is really fun and interesting, and it, it creates a lot of um, tension in the story, just like it creates tension in the, you know, in the anachronistic nature right. of the technologies. I mean, I've, um, we've sat on the podcast before, and um, one of my big tenets
2: of writing is that uh, successful writing... Successful concepts are the blending and melding of the familiar and the strange. Um, you know, Hollywood, uh, they call it the strange attractor. This is why you always hear in Hollywood the pitch is two familiar things put together make something crazy. Um, and, and, and it's fascinating. It's the whole concept of why Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, why you could say that line and it, people sat up and said, oh, I can imagine what that would be like yeah. and that would be cool. Um, and steampunk is in a way it's that. Um, it, it's not I, I mean the things I've read are nowhere near as gimmicky. there's a depth there's a, there's a, there's a passion to the world building and it's just a fascinating um, aspect to it but it, it if you reduce it just to that one line, it is the familiar and the strange. Saying, "What if the Victorians had flamethrowers? What does that do to society?" Um, which, just as naturally, at least as a storyteller, me, it
3: launches me into wanting to tell stories about this. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, a classic, like the steampunk version of that would be, you know, it's it's 1912 and Tesla is president. Yeah. You know, that would yeah. be how. That would mm-hmm. be, you know, your your Hollywood Tesla pitch. as president. Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> I can no longer see Tesla as anyone but David Bowie, by the way, um, because of that movie, but.
4: Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered.
0: who get it done
1: all right let's stop for our book of the week um this week we want to prom- promo behemoth behemoth
2: do you say behemoth or behemoth i say behemoth 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 by scott westerfeld which is the second of the leviathan series of three i believe yes um why don't you tell us about behemoth um trying not to spoil the first one if that's at all okay. possible <laughs> well
3: the first one is a, as, as we said, it's a, it's a steampunk version or diesel punk version, I guess, a World War One um, behemoth. In behemoth, the, uh, the, the our heroes have gone to the city of Istanbul or Constantinople. Which is the capital of the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottoman Empire is still neutral because it's the end of 1914. And we don't know whether they will join the clankers, that is to say, the Germanic people with their walking machines, or the Darwinists, mm-hmm. the French and the British, with their living machines. So there's lots of sort of old fashioned, um, you know, neutral port spies, revolutionaries, oh, fun. that kind of stuff going on. Um, you know the the, uh, the sultan is still in charge. The Young Turks uh-huh. are around. Right. There are, there are some Armenian revolutionaries. So it's it's a wonderful melting pot of cultures is Istanbul in that period, and and every well, one of my favorite things about it is that all of the different ethnic groups have their own walkers. So there's Greek Minotaur walkers and Arab jinn walkers, and uh, there's the Iron Golems that guard the Jewish neighborhoods. Right. So you get a whole mix oh, of crazy yeah. technologies. Um, so you can download a free copy, Behemoth,
2: AudiblePodcast slash Excuse. Start your fifteen day free trial. Um, details are on uh, the Writing Excuses website. And this one's also read by Alan
3: Cumming. It is, and yes. he's brilliant.
1: Awesome. Brilliant.
2: So um, I want to get back into kind of advice for people. Um, do you do you recommend research on this? Do you do a lot of research? Um, it's one of the questions people always ask me about
3: my writing. Oh heavens, yeah, I do mm-hmm. tons of research. I mean, and the funny thing about writing historical, even if it is alternate. I mean, because it's alternate, I want to get little stuff right. Right, yeah. Uh, And I thought I had done a ton of research, and about chapter three of the very first book, Leviathan... Uh, you know, someone's getting dressed and I suddenly was like, zippers, zippers. Do they have zippers right. yet? Like I know they have them in Germany in starting around the 1870s, but have they got to Britain? Have they gotten to working class people in Britain? You know, and then you go to the Ottoman Empire. When do they get there? The 1960s? I mean, you know, where, where, what about zippers? And so I go off on these little, tra- you know, trails. And really a zipper is a kind of a life-changing, quietly life-changing technology. It changes your relationship with your clothes. It changes, you know, lots of things. And just yeah. putting them in the wrong place would be, a, you know, a horrible, a horrible thing. Because I'm already making Darwin right. into a mad scientist and changing all this other technology. Yeah. I want to get the zippers right.
1: Yeah. If you want to know, if you want to know how much zippers uh, have have an impact, uh, uh, talk to kids these days who have Velcro for their shoes. Uh, <laughs> because yeah, I didn't have Velcro. I had to tie shoelaces. I had Velcro shoes. <laughs> You're I'm, dating yourself, Howard. I'm seven years older than you are. I didn't have Velcro shoes. I didn't have Velcro shoes. Well, there you go. Um, do
2: you worry, um, is an active worry when you're writing this, that um, because there's such a powerful aspect of world building and because you've done so much research, do you worry about the world um, taking over for the characters and story? Um, is, this a, is this a battle for you or is, it, or is it natural for you?
3: Yeah, not very much. Okay. I, I For some reason, I don't. Concern myself too much about that, I feel like um, you know good characters can 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 a can define the world around them by the choices they make and and they can build the world while they do cool stuff mm-hmm. and, and also you know my characters are because the war is happening, they're engaged very intimately with the, with the politics of the time and mm-hmm. with, the, with the technologies of the time. And it's kind of nice. I'm doing it like a double flash Gordon because I'm going, one point of view is Darwinist, the other one's Clanker, my two characters. So they're right. constantly, they get a chance to argue and see each other's worlds from a different right. point of view. Yeah. And that makes it a little bit easier to do the world building without, without getting gobbed down.
2: Yeah, I, I worry that um, new writers, and I've seen a little bit of, of steam bug from um, students who... Um, get so excited about the world that the first two chapters are all only the world, um, which I think could be danger. And in fact, um, I, I should mention this. I, I turned in my my gear punk story right uh, to tour, um, tour children's, and um, the ba- main piece of feedback was, you know, you're hitting the world too strong in the first five chapters. Um, you need to get into the story in the first five chapters, and then and that was surprising to me because I don't feel that I n- normally have that problem. But I'm normally writing um, four hundred thousand word epic fantasies, um, and someone right. picks up a 400,000-word epic fantasy. They're willing, they're saying, I'm going to let myself get completely immersed, and I think they're willing to take a little bit more than children. And that might be an aspect of the children's series more than anything. Um, Though, you know, children's, how should I say, I kind of want to get into this idea, this, ask a question for you on steampunk. Um, It seems like, for me, just watching the genre, um, or the subgenre from the sidelines, for like 15 years, steampunk has been like almost, taking off you know almost hitting and now we've got this counterculture thing going on but in literature i'm you know we've got you we've got sherry priest um do you see this starting a steampunk sort of golden age um is it happening or is it still just
3: on the cusp um that i think it, it may be that steampunk is too weird to ever get that big yeah and and i think there's a certain amount of um I mean, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of romance writers writing steampunk right now. Really? There's one called the Iron Duke. Okay. By, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but yeah. I'm sure if you Google Iron Duke romance, you'll you'll get it there. And um, and but that's not the same as an explosion. Yeah. I think it is a little bit complicated for people. It has you know the the, the themes of colonialism and post colonialism right. and, and and fiddly technology. The Sherlock Holmes movie was See but it, it I don't think it counts as steampunk. I watched it. I
2: loved the movie. There's not enough there's not enough. Um, it doesn't extrapolate very yeah. far. I know. No. I but, mean, the closest I um, I feel we've gotten in a good movie was Sky Captain, which isn't really even steampunk, but it's it's a, yeah. it's another subgenre, the one where we idealize science fiction, um, of period science fiction. But yeah. I mean, I wonder if we do need to get a major film project, and if by then we'll be into post steampunk. I mean, cyberpunk didn't take off among the mainstream until you started getting things like The Matrix and whatnot, which weren't true cyberpunk, right. which were you know pop culture pulling the fun part. Out of Cyberpunk and leaving behind all of the meaning, sort of, so to speak. Um, I wonder if that'll happen. The grit, that? and yeah, and a, lot lot a lot of the grit, too. Yeah, a lot of the grittiness grit. too. And I wonder if, if that'll happen. If we'll get a post-Steampunk thing. I mean, Peter Jackson's option the *Hungry City* chronicles, um, which is uh, which is a wonderful, kind of lesser-known Steampunk um, series about giant walking cities that eat one another. It's very well known in Britain. It's just yes, not it in it's the United States, not States for here some reason. Is well known, and it should be because they're, they're fantastic. But maybe those? I don't know. I'm just wondering. Um, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm hoping we will, but at the same time, part of me doesn't want it to because it's really fun for to be our thing, right? In science fiction and <laughs> fantasy. And yeah. um, and it seems like when when mass culture gets a hold of it, they do sterilize it, like yeah. what happened to steam uh,
3: cyberpunk. And, and some people, you know, think that steampunk is already over, but you know, yeah. some people are always like that. So yeah. <laughs> I think
1: I, the advice for a writer is yeah. don't worry about which oh, way it's trending. write, write the story you want to love. Yeah, oh, I totally. think
2: I think a good steampunk story will they'll be around for years. It's been around for years, it will continue to be around for years. If you write it well, people will read it. Um, Special thank you to Scott Westerfeld for stopping in the middle of his tour. Um, He's very busy, but he he stopped for these two podcasts. We really appreciate it. I'm going to go Final
1: piece of advice for us, Scott, for writers who want to uh, embrace the steamy punkiness of the Victorian era? Or just
3: any writing advice. Uh, Well, I'll quote Sherry Priest. If it's not fun, you're doing it wrong. Okay.
2: Uh, Writing prompt is uh, Tesla is president. (laughs) This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.